Good evening, brothers and sisters. Tonight, our sermon text is Zechariah chapter 7. So turn with me. Zechariah chapter 7. Zechariah, I've been going through it. It's one of the last books of the Old Testament. If you're just joining us. If Matthew, if you go back just a few books, you have Zechariah. We'll read all 14 verses. Now in the fourth year of King Darius, it came to pass that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month of Kislev, when the people sent Sherezer with Regim Malik and his men to the house of God to pray before the Lord, and to ask the priests who were in the house of the Lord of hosts, and the prophets, saying, Should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Say to all the people of the land and to the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months, during those seventy years, did you really fast for me? For me? When you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? Should you not have obeyed the words which the Lord proclaimed through the former prophets, when Jerusalem and the cities around it were inhabited and prosperous, and the south and the lowland were inhabited? Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice, show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the alien, or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. But they refused to heed, shrugged their shoulders, and stopped their ears so that they could not hear. Yes, they made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Thus great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. Therefore it happened that just as he proclaimed and they would not hear, so they called out and I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations which they had not known. Thus the land became desolate after them, so that no one passed through or returned, for they made the pleasant land desolate. This is the word of the living God, and we say, Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, great is your name. May your name be hallowed this evening. In the preaching of your, of your word and in the hearing of your word. May it be spoken rightly and understood properly. And help us to apply this to our hearts, to our lives. I pray that we won't tonight feel a false sort of guilt, but I pray that by the help of the Holy Spirit, we'll know our hearts all the better. We need his help. We want to repent of sins that we should repent of. We want to cling to Christ as our Savior. Work among us this evening that we may be more like him. We pray in his name. Amen. This evening there's a by way of introduction, I'll, I'll give some 
give some context and begin going through the passage, but it's a bit of a, a lengthy introduction, and then we have an outline to follow the introduction. So in this book, Zechariah, the people of Israel have recently returned from exile, and the first six chapters are mainly taken up with the night visions. And these visions, we've been through these visions, they give Israel hope that God will restore their nation and their temple afterwards. And at the end of chapter 6, it's where we last left off in the book, Zechariah is not given a vision from the Lord, he's given a message from the Lord. And this message is that there will one day be one who is both priest and king. And of course, we know the New Testament. The New Testament brings us Christ. Christ is the one who is not only king and priest, he's also the son of God, for no other man could truly fulfill the vision that Zechariah has. Jesus alone is able to wipe away sins. Jesus alone is king and lord. So tonight we're in chapter 7. And chapter 7 marks a transition of sorts in the book of Zechariah. Here there's not a vision but a message. And the message is what the people asked for. They wanted to hear from God whether or not they should continue weeping and separating themselves as they had been doing while in exile in Babylon for some 70 years. So the Jews had been fasting and weeping on an annual basis during their exile. And the weeping and the fasting were to demonstrate their, their loss of the promised land, their loss of their way of life, to show their contrition of heart, their God had exiled them. They were not to rejoice in that fact. They were to show shame and remorse. They were to show that they longed for God, they longed for the promised land. Even more, how could they fulfill their duties away from the promised land, away from the temple. Even more, the Messiah must be born in Israel. So they were to show that they would not be content in their present circumstances. But now, the book of Zechariah, the temple's being rebuilt. And we know this because of what takes place in other prophetic books. So we know that in just a few short years, the temple would be complete. So the end is in sight, and there's a delegation sent to inquire of the Lord. And this delegation's question is recorded for us in verse 3. Verse 3, the question is this, shall we continue with our weeping? The temple's almost built. They're back in the promised land. Hasn't our weeping, hasn't the purpose of it been fulfilled? It's almost, almost finished. It's as if they're saying, God, you've brought us back. You've stretched out your hand. Shall we continue to weep? So I think the question is understandable. And God does not criticize them for asking the question. Take note of that. God does not criticize them. But also note that God does not directly answer them. He doesn't give them the yes or no. At least not here in chapter 7. God's answer is recorded for us here in Verses 4 to 14, and it is a series of questions. God just doesn't say yes. You can stop the fast or no, but he gives them a rebuke. He gives them a reminder. It's not straightforward. And God's response to their question is not what they may have expected. We must wait until chapter 8 to see God's complete answer. And Lord willing, we'll reach chapter 8 in a few weeks. And as we'll see, God does give an answer. He will tell Israel to stop their fasting and weeping. And their fasting and their weeping will be turned into feasting. And we'll see 
Indeed, there's a wonderful future for the people of Israel. In this chapter 8, I'm speaking of, it matches what we've seen so far in Zechariah, what we saw in the night visions. God's promise is to return to Israel, bless them. He's going to secure their borders. He's going to bless their farmland. He's going to rebuild the temple system. He will establish the priesthood. And in chapter 8, Israel's fasts will become feasts. But we're not in chapter 8. Before God gets to that glorious truth, we're given this word in chapter 7. Specifically, verses 4 to 14. God's response takes up the remainder of the chapter. All 4 to 14 is God's response to their question. In this word from God, it's a rebuke. It's a warning. And it's a call to obey God from the heart. So the message tonight is this. God rebukes his people for their sin. And he commands his people to obey him from his heart. If you're a note taker, there's three takeaway points. They are this. First one, God detests empty worship. God detests empty worship. Second takeaway point is this. Do not neglect the weightier matters of the law. And the third one is fasting comes before feasting. So we'll get to those in a minute. First, the first point is God detests Empty worship. Between verses 5 and 7, God commands Zechariah to ask the Israelites three questions. These are probing questions. They're rhetorical. They're meant to be a teaching tool. That's what we have there, beginning in verse 4. They're given so that the Israelites might reflect on their own actions. When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months during those 70 years, did you really fast for me? For me? God sees the heart. He knows all things. And this question is meant to remind the Israelites that their hearts were far from him. Though they were going through the rituals, they were far from him. And that phrase, for me, is repeated for emphasis. It could be read to me or towards me, and it is said twice. Their fast should be for God. God is asking who they're fasting for. And of course, God knows. God knows who they're fasting for. He knows they have an eye not towards God, but towards their own selves. Another question he asks, when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? <clears throat> it's possible to do religious rites and rituals to please yourself. Their fasting and their weeping rituals were meant to be an act of worship to God. That's why they were ascribed. But they were doing these things out of pretense. They were fasting and weeping. And that, that is just so strange, I think, because it's not pleasant to fast or to weep, to deny yourself bread and water. It's not fun, of course. To contemplate your sins, to weep over them, not fun. But still, many were doing these things because it made them feel better about their own selves. Perhaps some individuals were half-hearted, and that to varying degrees. But as a nation, as a people, as a whole, there was pretense in their fasting, in their weeping. Their heart was not in it for God. And this is not the first time we see this in Scripture, of course. We see this all through the prophets. Joel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Malachi, many others. 
In Philippians, there's pretense. We see there were even preachers who preached the gospel out of pretense. Preaching the gospel, of course, is a good thing. It's wonderful. It's how people are saved. But in Philippians, Paul rebukes preachers who were preaching out of pretense. Their hearts were not in it for God. They were preaching with other motives. They were actually trying to hurt Paul. It was possible to do very good things, even fasting, even weeping, for the wrong reasons. So before moving on, there's a diagnostic question for us that I think naturally arises out of the text. Brothers and sisters, it's this. Are you in danger of offering false worship? Are we in danger? We do not have the many Levitical laws like the Israelites did. We do not have as many rituals as they did either. But we do have religious rituals. We're doing them right now. We stand, we sit, we sing, we pray, we listen. There are times even where we may fast together, even corporately. Our confession speaks of this in the chapter on religious worship and the Sabbath. The quote is this from our confession. Solemn humiliation with fastings and thanksgivings upon special occasions ought to be used in a holy and religious manner. So there are times where we should solemnly and humbly fast, and we should do so in a religious manner. Fasting, weeping, it can be done with solemnity. It can be helpful. It can be helpful for a day or for seasons in a Christian life. So the point is not to avoid such things. The point is to do them unto the Lord. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Again, that's the Apostle Paul. Whatever we do, eating, drinking, weeping, fasting, all unto the Lord. Verse 7, God's asking another question. This one too is probing. Should you have not, should you not have obeyed the words which the Lord proclaimed to the former prophets? Well, the answer is, of course they should have obeyed. If you ask a child, if there's a naughty child in the other room, they're doing something they shouldn't be doing. First thing out of the parent's mouth, what are you doing? parent very obviously knows what the child is doing. The point is to get the child's attention. What am I doing wrong? That's the point. What are they doing wrong? It's not just that they're offering empty worship unto God. They were not obeying God's commands. The former prophets had warned the Israelites that God would judge them. God would repeatedly warn them and did so through different prophets and different generations. Moses Warn them. The Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land. It's a warning. In Isaiah 58, there's probing, there's questioning. The Israelites in Isaiah 58 ask this question Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves, God, and you take no knowledge of it? So they were fasting in Isaiah's day too. And God's answer is, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Same thing in Isaiah. God also answers them in Isaiah. He says this, is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness and to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? 
Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Many of Isaiah's words sound like the next part of our text. This is caked throughout the Bible. Our second point is this. Do not neglect the weightier matters of the law. Do not neglect the weightier matters of the law. Let's read again verses 8 to 10 in Zechariah. Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice. Show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. Sounds like Isaiah. The widow, the fatherless, the alien, the poor, these are vulnerable groups. Reminds us of James. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. What's true religion? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament, the message is the same. Our love for God is evident when we love our neighbor. This is what I mean by the weightier matters of the law. Weightier matters of the law, love for neighbor, love for God. That's what Jesus said. He's the, he's the greatest commandments. Matthew 23, Jesus calls certain laws the weightier matters of the law. And he criticized the Pharisees. Pharisees were very obedient in small things. But put aside the greater things. Woe to you! Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. He goes on. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean, cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. The Pharisees had no excuse. They had the book of Zechariah in their hands. When Jesus is rebuking them, they have this book. They had it memorized. Even so, they did not obey him. And just as the Israelites in Zechariah's day were often guilty of not obeying their forefathers, the Pharisees were not obeying Zechariah. Let's look now at verses 11 to 13. What else is going on here? What do I mean by weightier matters of the law? It says this in verse 11. Again, talking about their forefathers. They refused to heed shrugged their shoulders, and stopped their ears so they could not hear. Yes, they made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear the law. So that refused to heed there in verse 11, shrugged their shoulders, shrugged their shoulders. Is an interesting phrase. Some translations say something along the lines of they, they, they pushed their shoulders away. And I, the, the idea there is they didn't want the, the yoke of the law upon their necks. So they kind of shrug their shoulders so that they don't have to accept the yoke. 
They refused to heed the law. And they stopped their ears. And then they made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear. They're fasting and they're weeping, yet they're closing their ears. Again, it's about the heart. The Pharisees, the Jews in Zechariah's day, the Israelites before their day, they're refusing to obey the weightier matters of the law. So why is Zechariah bringing all of this up? Remember, these are a series of rhetorical questions. And he's reminding them of the past. And Calvin, I think it's helpful here, Calvin says this, It was not enough to remind the Jews of, of true repentance, but the reproof was needful in order more sharply to stimulate them. So that the point is this, why is he reminding them? To stimulate them. He wants them to be reminded of their forefathers, to be reminded Yes, you're doing the weeping and the fasting and the rituals, but what is going on in your heart? And he says this, it, is wholly unnecessary. it was wholly necessary to discover their hypocrisy. Sometimes we, we can go through life and we can think, oh, the hypocrites, they know they're hypocrites. According to this, the hypocrites don't really know they're hypocrites. This is why he's asking these questions. Do you recognize Israelites? You're being hypocritical? Hypocrites sometimes don't know they're hypocritical. Their fathers were not hearing the word. They were not obeying the weightier matters of the law. They were not looking out for the oppressed, the widow, the orphan. James says that faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? That's worthless. That's false religion. Thirdly, fasting comes before feasting. I think that's another takeaway point we can get from this. Fasting comes before feasting. I say this not as a general principle, and I mean something a little bit different here, and I'll explain what I mean. I say this not as a general principle and, and not so much as a requirement. Rather, this is just a pattern that we see in Scripture. It's a truth, generally speaking. Fasting comes before feasting. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached in Zechariah, and he brings out this principle, and he says that the essential preliminary to fasting is to, I'm sorry, the essential preliminary to feasting is fasting. And then he says this, this is a bit, um, this is strongly worded. Uh, I'll read it to you. It is only to those who had been through the state of fasting that there was the command to start feasting and rejoicing. Remember I said chapter 8 is coming. God is going to take away their fast. He's going to give them feasts. But before we get there, there's a reminder, there's a rebuke, there's a warning. I think Zechariah 7 attested this, but so did Jesus' words in Matthew 5, this principle of fasting before feasting. And here's what I mean. I don't mean simply fasting as in not having food. I mean just, is there, is there a lowliness of heart? 
Do you have that? Because you need that before you're feasting in the Christian life. Consider these words from Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for it is they that shall be filled. Yes, that's the pattern. You must be hungry and thirsty for God's righteousness in order to receive it. That's what I mean by fasting comes before feasting. The question now for us is, well, first, I'll address, if, if, if you have not yet believed upon the Lord Jesus, I don't want to presume anything, but you feel this lowliness of heart, that's exactly where you should be. We sing a song often here, and there's a line in it here. It says, all the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. That's the fitness God requires. It's, it's, it's no fitness at all. In order to come to Christ, you have to feel your need of him. That's it. Do you have sorrow over your sin? Well, then you have what you need to come to Christ. Do you feel the weight of God's holiness? Do you feel the weight of your lack of holiness? Do you see your dirtiness? Then come to Christ. Fasting comes before feasting. I've been in other churches, not so much recently, but in my Christian journey. And oftentimes, when you go into another church, what we have is a lot of gospel, a lot of promise, but a lack of law. There's a lack of law. So people come in and they hear that there is feasting in the Christian life, and they just come straight to the table. They have not heard the law yet. They have no need for Christ. They just think that it's an add-on. First, we must have the law. Then we get the gospel. First, you must repent of your sins. See your need for Christ. Then come to him. Let that drive you into the arms of Christ. He died for you, he rose from the dead, and he will see to it that you were covered in his righteousness. And if you this evening recognize that you are not worshiping God, perhaps you're here this evening, and you're a believer, but you've been offering some sort of false worship, you're just going through the ritual, you're going through some sort of pretense, do you recognize it? <laughs> Because that's all you need. Pastor Ryan said the same very thing this morning. All you need, it's a blessing, isn't it? Is to feel your need for him, even if you're in the faith. If you feel like you're just going through the ritual, you're standing, you're sitting, you're singing, you're going home. Do you feel your need for him? Then come to him. Repent. Christ alone offered pure worship to God, Christ alone obeyed the law, loving God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he loved his neighbor as himself. And he sent the Spirit into our hearts. We are enabled to love, to love one another, and to love God. 
If you feel like you lack that ability, may God's Spirit come to you this evening. Let's pray for that right now. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this word from Zechariah. I do pray for all here this evening. I pray for the unbelievers that they will see their need for Christ, that they'll repent, they'll acknowledge you as holy and true, and that they'll come to Christ as the lone and capable Savior of their souls. And I pray for those this evening that may be just going through the rituals of the Christian life. I pray that my grace you will prick them, you will, you will prick their consciences and bring them to, to confess their sins. And I pray that our dear Savior with warm and loving arms will embrace them and put his arms around them and welcome them. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing a song in response to our God. You see the words there.